0: Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our, uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood.
1: Welcome, 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 everyone. It is Pottywood yet again, and Pottywood interviews, I will add. Uh, As you notice, Steve has not opened the show, and for good reason. We got rid of him this week, Uh, mainly because we wanted to bring in a bit of uh, New York culture to the show this week, which obviously you need when you're living with Ensure. It's going to be interesting because not only is my co-host this week from New York, but also our guest is as well but he's not in new york but i'll get to that in a moment but as always i'm andrew roger carson thank you very much for joining us on partywood joining me this week as my co-host all the way from
2: bushwick brooklyn of course it's jonas barnes jonas how are you i'm good man how about you how's everything going over uh over in the uk oh it's going terrible but, <laughs> but, but that's just that's just the uk Well, we're going to play a
1: bit of a game tonight to see who gets the police sirens in the background first. And I'm betting it's going to be me because you've already had yours before we went on air.
2: Yeah, we had a bunch over here. Also, it's like it's so hot right now in New York. It's so gross. So naturally, we wanted to um, bring a bit of home spirit
1: for you. And we're very fortunate this week that we have, uh, in my view, an amazing uh, New York director. If you have seen uh, fantastic movies such as Catfight, or applesauce, or um, the misogynist, you'll know this name very well. He's very well regarded in the New York independent film scene and for very good reason. And today, he's joining us from North Carolina, so I don't know if we will get a completely different set of sirens in the background. (laughs) But it's our absolute pleasure to welcome, as a debut guest here on Pottywood. also, it's Honor Tuchel.
0: Honor, how are you? I'm good, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show, and Jonas. It's good to see you and hear you. Yeah, in North Carolina, you're not going to hear sirens in the background. In Charlotte, you're going to hear church bells. You know, North going Carolina. off every every couple of you know every every hour or so. There's like church bells going on. So I'm in the <laughs> south. Yeah, I'm in the south. I got out of North Carolina just uh, as a vacation. Out of New York as a vacation or whatnot. So, but but it's hot down here too. You know. So but it's good to be on the show. Thank you for the nice introduction.
1: No, definitely. Um, I'd say we we tried to make this episode work uh, a couple of times, and I I think uh, we always got to thank Gino Pessi for uh, the introduction, for forwarding you onto this show, and it's been great because me and Jonas, uh, we have spent probably the last week uh, binging a lot of the work that you have nicely enough sent over to us to to research.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to be curious to know what you all think of all this. So as a filmmaker, um, I feel like it's – sometimes you feel like it's a betrayal to shit on other people's movies because you know how much goes into it, how much time, how much of your soul at what you're revealing. I mean you're very exposed. So it's hard to shit on a movie sometimes knowing of what everyone goes through but at the same time i feel like the culture has become so lax we're in this place which is it's a nice where let's be nice to everyone culture which is let's not shit on anything because you know it's going to hurt someone's feelings you know and i don't and i believe the opposite of that is true with art you should be brutal when it comes to art criticism you know because it's it's you know if you have a an abject reaction to something or a very strong reaction and you just hate something you should be able to speak it out Uh, How can you portray what you're portraying on screen and do it in such a jocular fashion, in such a joking way? Um, but then I don't know. In art, I think anything goes in art. Anything should be allowed in art, and that was kind of my point. Yes, because I feel like there's been this backlash against comedy, and that comedy has become the last thing that comedy should be is neutered, or that you should be cautious when it comes to comedy. I think there's a way to be conscientious about comedy. I agree with what George Carlin says about going after the uh, not going after the underdog. Although I do that sometimes too. But but it, it, it's it's a it's a big big subject, you know. Uh, freedom of speech, especially when it comes to to art and i think for me i've always had a big mouth and when someone says you can't say something i'm always the asshole in the classroom that's (laughs) that's saying it i'm saying it just because i'm not allowed to you know i was gonna say
2: andrew you brought me on with a perfect guest because me and him are just me me and him are Uh, right on the (laughs) same wavelength there
1: (laughs) Uh, i knew this was gonna be a great one to break you in with (laughs) Jonas. Um, Okay, in looking back, uh, obviously, your first movie, uh, as far back as I can go, and I can't find it anywhere, unfortunately, uh, was a movie called House of Pancakes. This was back in 1997. So you kind of really got your start really small and independently.
0: Yeah, this is, I graduated college in 95, and there was a, a new wave of independent film. There was a new wave movement in the late 80s, and early 90s. I don't know if it started with Jim Jarmusch and Spike Lee, but as far as I know, those were the kind of the, the filmmakers in New York that had started this kind of new wave movement that kind of introduced a bunch of independent filmmakers that were making low-budget movies on 16 millimeter in the early 90s. And I, Richard Linklater would be part of that. You know, It would be uh, obviously Robert Rodriguez making El Mariachi for $7,000 ended up selling it to Miramax and going to Sundance and making you know that, everybody knew about that movie at the time it was uh, it came out you know everybody for the, for the young independent filmmaker it was like wow you can make a feature film for7 thousand dollars All right I guess it was the punk rock of a film there was the Hollywood film and then there was the low budget Independent film that I would go to see religiously, and go rent movies from, and those are the movies I wanted to make. I wanted to be Neil Labute. I wanted to be Kevin Smith, of course, with Clerks. So when I graduated from college, I saved up money. I worked all summer. I saved up about four or five thousand dollars. Uh, again, this is privilege. I came from a place of privilege. So my dad, I think, ended up giving me like five thousand dollars for graduate, like when I graduated, just as a gift. And then my my friend Clifford put in about $3,000. So I made my first feature film, House of Pancakes, on black and white, 16-millimeter reversal. Um, and we kind of took the same format as like Clerks, which is – That movie takes place basically in one setting. And we made House of Pancakes in one setting, which was a house. And it was basically the idea was two people enjoying their first date, their first first date. And uh, as they're having their date, all these weird people come knocking on the doors. And roommates keep coming home, even though they're supposed to have the house by themselves. And it's this hodgepodge of weirdos who come in and out of the house. So by the end, everything kind of culminates into this frenzied kind of cataclysmic, absurdist kind of finale. So I was just, you know, I I wanted to make movies and that was my first attempt at doing it. And I made it in Wilmington, North Carolina where there was a lot of independent, a lot of films being made, not necessarily independent films, but they were actually there was a, there was a studio there. Dino DeLorentes had a studio there and he was making films there. So I went to Wilmington to be part of that, but I never actually worked on any movies that the studios were doing. I kind of just made my own thing and used some of the crew members who were making films there. A Blue Velvet was shot at Wilmington in the late 80s right before I got oh, there, shit. you know. When I got there um, I cut my teeth and learned how to make movies on 16mm, you know? And then my third movie, ding a was made on 35. So, yeah, House of Pancakes uh, eventually got released by a small company uh, in New Jersey called E.I. Cinema. A guy named Michael Rasso saw the movie. I sent it to him, and they released it. And I remember getting a, I remember getting a box of VHS tapes. With the cover, you know, with, with the nice shrink <laughs> shrink wrap VHS tapes, feeling like I had made it. I made it because I have a box of VHS tapes. I remember people, it never got into Blockbuster, but I would get phone calls from people who were seeing the movie pop up at like uh, video stores, Hollywood Video. There was Hollywood Video, which was a competitor. Video, yeah. Do you remember that, Jonas? <laughs> oh, Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the problem was I had bad sound, bad audio. So you know uh so I mean, it's, it's it's good enough it's it's but still not great, but it's the kind of thing I've thought about transferring the film footage back to four k or two k if I could ever get enough money raised or or save enough money, or I'm just cheap I don't know if i i I don't know <laughs> if I'd want to spend ten thousand dollars retransferring that film, although I love it a lot but but I have a lot of love for it. I remember we had a screening in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was hugely packed. We didn't get into the local film festival, right? And I was really pissed off because I'm like, we made a feature film. We should be playing at the local Kukuloris Film Festival, which is a great festival, by the way. Um, So we had our own screening. And I remember it being very vindicating because hundreds of people showed up for this tiny little movie, you know, in in a small town. I have so much love and admiration. And I was just, God, I was such a different person then. I was... I was naive and I was excited and I was optimistic. Um, and I, and I guess you still have to be those things to make independent film. You know, you still have to be reckless and a little bit, you have to be kind of a child, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: From following on from house of pancakes, um, you make, uh, I think you, you when you first forays into Sahara was a movie called drawing blood. Um, which i believe you stated in an interview i think i read that this was the only time that you really made money <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really. the only time was the first it was well I've, I've made money not i've either recouped money or made money on three movies and drawing blood was the first one when i when I, when house of pancakes was released ei cinema if you look up EI cinema i don't know if they're still around they were releasing all these really really cheap exotic female vampire movies, right? And he told me, he's like, look, you want to make money, make one of these things. Make like a cheap... You know, and they were t- they were pretty bad, and they were kind of like soft. They weren't softcore porn. It was just a lot of topless women with fangs dancing around and being silly. And I'm like, well, I know I don't want to make that kind of movie, but female vampires—that sounds fun. I- I'd like to maybe make an artsy vampire film that has some nudity, but justified nudity, not just like you know, exploitative yeah. nudity, right? So I came up with an idea uh, for something called Danny Cleveland. This is so, like, not PC and so, like, now I am embarrassed <laughs> about this. It's called Danny Cleveland Lesbian Vampire Hunter. That's the name <laughs> of the movie. I thought of this in, ni- like, 1995 or 96. It was right after uh, – I made House of Pancakes in 96. It came out in 97. So this is around 1997. and I, And I wrote an eight-page proposal – to try to make this movie, Danny Cleveland, uh, a, a lesbian vampire hunter, about a guy with a who kills lesbian vampires, because a lot of the things E.I. Cinema they were lesbian vampires, walk making out with each other, they were topless. I mean, it was schlocky. It was not they, the movies were fine. They were they were harmless. They weren't pornographic. They were just they were harmless. You know, and but then, yeah. then
1: later in the two thousands, you
0: get James Corden in a movie
1: called Lesbian Vampire Killers. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 years
0: later some of the lesbian vampire killer movies came out. And I'm sure they were made before. I think there was the uh, uh who was the guy who did um uh, f- uh, there was the uh Rosemary's Baby, oh.
1: Jesus God, Christ. Oh. Jesus. Are we completely all blanked on his name? Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: that happens that happens Have all the time now. For some Polanski, yeah. Polanski. So Polanski made a movie, Weird. a I vampire cop. Forget that guy. <laughs> so so he made a vampire film in the 60s with Sharon Tate, I believe. Uh, the fearless vampire hunters yes uh, and it was also known as uh, excuse me but your your teeth are stuck in my neck right so um <laughs> I, I don't i never saw that movie but like the idea of an absurdist vampire movie was funny to me but bottom line is he said make a movie like that make a movie like that I put an eight-page proposal together. My brother Timmer, whose house I'm in right now, my older brother, he had, um, he was older, he's older than me by four and a half years, and he had some friends who had some money that worked in the furniture in North Carolina. The furniture um, industry was much bigger twenty years ago than it was it is now. So he had some friends who worked in furniture. I sent them this proposal saying. We can make a movie called Danny Cleveland Lesbian Vampire Hunter for twelve thousand dollars on 16 millimeter film. This is how we do it and I had a one sheet top sheet of the budget and what we would do. all the money going towards film and processing, a little bit of money for fangs and blood, but but not much else, right? And amazing incredibly they they and I faxed it to them. That was at the time of faxes, right? So I sent them the fax and they called me back and said, we're gonna to we're gonna, we'll fund this. It sounds amazing. This sounds funny. So five of these guys, Put in like one investor put in like $7,000. The other investors put in $1,000 each. We had $12,000. I eventually rewrote the script, made it Drawing Blood, Sergio Lapel's Drawing Blood. It's about a female vampire. Instead of being hunted, she's the I said, I didn't want to make a movie about female uh, lesbian vampires being hunted. I wanted to make it about a kick ass vampire named Diana who paints nude models in blood. So I want to justify the nudity by having her – because if I showed a woman naked and she's being painted, that's like – that's not exploitative. That's art. That's like life drawing, right? So that's the idea, and then she has this Remsfeld character, this Renfels type character that she holds hostage and he basically has to go bring her victims where he's gonna, where she's going to kill his father. And it's a, it's 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 a, it's a. I shot sixteen millimeter, had a blast doing it. We shot over six months. We shot on a CP sixteen. Um, ended up selling. I got a lot of offers from small distributors who wanted to buy it, but only trauma you know trauma everyone's familiar with trauma <laughs> only they would actually give us an mg minimum guarantee actual money to to buy the movie outright and I was stupid I didn't even negotiate. They said, we'll give you 15k I said, sold. we got it we got our money back but I could have probably gotten <laughs> probably could have got, got, gotten more for it you know I, I strong blood has I have a lot of love for that movie because it's uh you know it's got a strong female vampire character who's extremely strong and she basically is in love with this character uh, Edmund. Um, whos who doesn't want to be with her, and she wants to turn him into a vampire so that she can be with him for eternity. But he doesn't want to do that because the thought of being with uh, anybody for eternity is horrible. I would find out later I would recycle this kind of idea for Summer of Blood later, the vampire comedy I would make later. You know what I mean? Like There's just a little bit of ideas from that that I would take later. Um, but But yeah, the first half of the movie is kind of very dramatic and very serious and then it takes a very comedic turn and becomes very very funny and really absurd some people love that aspect about the movie some people think it's ridiculous and like inconsistent i've always had a problem with tone in my movies the tone <laughs> is all over the place you know yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. we've
1: got to see you into kind of summer of blood here as we're moving on because i think that is a natural kind of progression i know we're going to jump back and forwards a little bit but um there's this had one scene that really caught me by surprise and off guard, and uh, I was laughing so hard that I couldn't finish the drink that was in my mouth, and it just went <laughs> everywhere. And it was the, all I've got to say, for the people who haven't seen it, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a clip in here, all I can say is, can you sign oh (laughs) yeah
0: Uh, i was trying to talk to this guy his throat's been torn out and i'm asking him to sign language some people thought that scene was a little bit it showed my character was too detached too obtuse just too cynical and they had a hard time connecting with him they're like they they suggested that i cut that out because they're like maybe show him for a little bit but don't go on and on because it shows your character is completely untethered to any humanity he's so out of it like he's not even just to talk to a guy and then of course I'm, i get blood on my hands I make the AIDS joke and then I ask about the tampons I think that stuff's I I thought it was funny ten years ago I don't know if it'd be funny now but um actually that's not true I watched it a year ago because I did a commentary for a blu-ray and I thought the movie was even more even funnier because we're in this place of inappropriateness you definitely you're not supposed to make that kind of humor today but I think you know with with all of my humor it's showing the buffoonery of this guy it's not making fun of other people it's making fun of myself i'm making fun of my own detachment my own entitlement my own fear of death fear of commitment fear of everything so in order to in, in order to be less afraid of things and actually acknowledge the fact that hey i'm afraid of this stuff let me mock everything and i think summer of blood is a perfect example of that at the end of that scene what's supposed to happen is they actually take a selfie with the guy after he's dead. They take a selfie of themselves, and it, and, and, and 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 we didn't we we didn't include that in the cut because that was way too, I think, fl- flippant or cheerfully disrespectful to someone who just di- who just died, you know. But um, oh man, Summer of Blood changed my life. That it got into the Tribeca Film Festival. We were kind of the talk of the town in two thousand and fourteen, the week that it came out. It led to me making a couple of movies with MPI Media Group, Applesauce, and and Catfight. It was a really, really good three three years. I, I had moved to New York in 2011, 2010, um, just to make movies up there because uh, I wasn't happy in North Carolina. And uh, and I, for about three or four years there, I was really thriving and having a really good time. Uh, Summer of Blood didn't make a lot of money. We made it for about $35,000. And... MPI Media Group gave us seventy five thousand for it, and which was not bad. And we 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 got the investors. Are there? I, I was one of the investors. My friend Clifford, who put in money for House of Pancakes, was the other investor. We recouped our money and used the profits to pay everybody. You know, some uh, a little bit of money that wasn't bad. You know, for somebody who worked on the movie for three or four days, they acted in the movie. We gave them a check for fifteen sixteen hundred dollars and. Uh, yeah, so we didn't make pretty, any money, but we yeah. paid everybody back. And it was it was just beautiful, man. I, I felt um, it was just an exciting time. Before we jump into Catfight, I want to ask
2: you something about, like, the filmmaking process in New York. Because first off, it, the fact that you made uh, Summer of Blood for, you said, 35 k
0: Yeah.
2: That's oh. fucking crazy. There's oh, no way. <laughs> like, watching that movie, there's no way I would have thought it was that low. But so, oh, like, thanks, you man. definitely did a damn good job with that budget. Yeah, Definitely in New York, especially for independent film, you kind of have to do some guerrilla filmmaking tactics. Yeah. Like, is that something you have run into with any New York filming at all? Oh
0: man. Well, God, there's so many things to say about that. Let me see if I can go, go through it in order. Um, first of all, Thanks for saying that. Summer of Blood looked like it cost a lot more than thirty-five thousand dollars. When I was in France, I showed um, I showed Summer of Blood at the Champs-Elysees Film Festival, and one of the the French, of course, notorious for being so blunt and curt, which I love. Um, I'm like, they're, they're like, how? If somebody in the audience said, how much did the movie cost? I said, oh, it cost like thirty-five k. I'm very proud of how low budget it was. And one guy was like, it looks like it costs five k. I'm like, he was just so like he was so just like such an asshole. And and I was just like, well, I, yeah, I guess so. I guess compared. To the French movies maybe it doesn't look that it looks pretty cheap the gorilla aspect um that's one of the reasons I came to New York to make movies was when these DSLR the cameras came out because we shot summer of blood on two Canon 5ds which were like three thousand four thousand dollar cameras and uh, we rented them really cheap and we shot them you know you just hold them they're like little Still cameras. And it was just easy and mobile to shoot on the streets of New York. And you could shoot with a crew of seven or eight people. And it was easy to get around. You didn't have to get um, permits. In fact, one night, late at night, we're shooting on the streets of New York. Um, I've got my things in. I've got my shirts covered in blood. Um, and a cop pulls by and stops. And we've got like seven or eight people on the street. <laughs> And I'm I'm thinking the police officer's going to say, hey, you guys need to shut it down and, and leave, or show us your permit. I'm like, officer, is everything okay? And he just looks at me and he he smiles. And he says, you look awesome, man. And he and he and he, and he, and he drives away. I remember hearing about Lost in Translation, which was the Sofia Coppola movie that was made in you know Japan with uh, with Scar- Scarlett Johansson and and uh, Bill Murray. There's that final shot. Remember of uh, remember oh, what yeah. I'm talking about? There's that final mm-hmm. shot, supposing when they're on the street and he whispers in her ear. Suppose if i remember correctly they just went out there and shot it with with one camera yep. and like i said so it's like and they got all those extras walking by and i think that's the beautiful thing about new york which i find so inspiring is you're on the streets it's it's 10 million dollar production design you know in new york city i mean that's the thing about any not any city but just sit new york has a specific look that looks incredible i mean you can tell when someone is trying to make a movie that's just doubling for new york but it's not new york they're shooting in montreal yeah. they're shooting in london london it does not look like new york new york does not look like london i mean you it's new york just has such a very specific look friday the 13th part eight which i saw opening <laughs> night when i was in high school i mean i i had been to new york a couple of times but i didn't know the damn difference and uh, I still loved it. I just loved Jason being in Manhattan, even though he wasn't in Manhattan, even though the last 30 minutes he was only in Manhattan for like 30 minutes, and they <laughs> didn't take advantage of what they really could have done with right. it. I still appreciated it. Um, yes, gorilla style, <laughs> New York, low-budget films. I would love to make higher budgeted movies. Two million, five million, ten million. Obviously, you have to work for that, you have to have patience. Uh, I've been trying to get movies made for millions of dollars for years uh, maybe that'll happen maybe they won't but the beautiful thing about making a film for twenty thousand to hundred thousand dollars is you know if, if people are investing in those movies and I always ask the investors look you can afford to lose this money right and you're not going to get you're not gonna be broke and you're not gonna it's not gonna kill you you're investing because you want to be part of something really really cool and all the investors are like yes yes let's let's do this it's fun. we, we I, I like your body of work we think you're going to have success at some point they're wrong but 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 the, you know they're they're still investing and, and and it's fun because there's not a lot on the line if you i mean if, if you, obviously you want to get the movie made and you want it to be good but there's a it takes the stress out of it so you're you're having fun. It's it's more fun. You know what I mean? Like, and that to me is what it's all about. Enjoying the process and having a good time. It's still stressful sometimes and, and sometimes it, it can be um, horrible experience, which I've had on movies before, but uh, just being on the streets in New York again—that is why I came there, and that's why it's been such a beautiful twelve years. But at the end of the day, if you enjoy the process, and people are coming together to help to, to help you act, to, to help you make the film, to act in the film, it's not about money; it's about the experience of making art together. I don't know. It, it, as long as people will still be part of that adventure with me i i i love it i i I love it so much you know and it's infectious i i tell this to first-time filmmakers um because i just produced a movie with a first-time filmmaker it's it's um you um you're 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 about to get a a virus an addiction to something that is a beautiful addiction it's heartbreaking and it will kill you it will kill you in a lot of ways but there's nothing more inspiring than making a movie. Of course, there's heartbreak and disappointment that comes with it, but the rewards of seeing it come together are just so magical and beautiful.
1: And I just want to say, I just won the siren
2: twice. <laughs>
0: <So laughs> yeah. Three
2: police cars pass yeah. during that. Well, um, I was going to say, I, I would love to be addicted to making movies compared to whiskey and cocaine like I used to be addicted to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the payoff gotta... of being addicted to filmmaking is way better. <laughs> well, that,
1: there is uh, a great... A uh, great saying that I saw on the internet today um, that I thought, I'm going to bring this up, and I, w- I wish I could remember who it was that quoted it. They said, uh, there are two different tones of a New York independent movie. One is two Ninas, and the other is applesauce. It, it showed me there was a bit of where your influences were. I mean, you get labeled with the Woody Allen stick quite a lot because I don't think... Most critics know any other New York filmmakers. Well, yeah, so you make a you, you yeah, make
0: a neurotic you make a comedy about neurotic people in New York. You know, you got the Seinfeld yeah. comparison, the Woody Allen, which I don't mind at all. I don't have a problem with it all. You know, yeah. You know, it's funny when I was making the movie, I wasn't thinking about this idea um, that to me to me is so omnipresent now, which is being haunted by your past and something from your past coming back and haunting you and cancel right now it's, but we're talking about cancel culture, no, right. Anything you may have said or any photo you may have posted or any way you may have mistreated someone or yelled at someone or done something coming back and them outing you and getting you canceled, maybe behind the scenes or, 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 or out, you know, publicly on, on Twitter or social media. I didn't think about that when I was making the movie, but I feel like the movie maybe speaks to some of that stuff because yeah. it's about people opening the Pandora's box of, well, it's really about, the, at the end of the day, what? how much do you want to know about your spouse? You know what I mean? Do you really want to know about the life they lived before you uh, got involved with them and how that opening that Pandora's box can create a lot of grief, right? Um, so, I, I, you know, the whole movie really started based on something that happened to a dear friend of mine in, in, in college where he did – accidentally that story that i tell my character tells about cutting someone's finger off that actually happened to my friend in college and i was with him the, the way i tell the story is almost exactly the way my friend tells the story we've been he's been telling that story for 20 years i called him i said i said can i make can i make a movie based on that thing that happened to you can i use that as like the linchpin or the catalyst for this film and he was like, "Sure, just don't say my name and never say my name." He actually <laughs> confessed the story uh, on a on a talk radio show. He actually confessed oh, what shit. happened. We just I wanted to be. It was very scripted, but I really wanted it to be loose because mumblecore. You know the mumblecore movement in the in the in yeah. the two thousand, basically two thousand five to two thousand whatever, whatever ended two thousand fifteen. I wanted to have that fill. I wanted it to seem scripted. I wanted it to have a very loose mumble cord fill. Also, husbands and wives and Hannah and Your Sisters all of Woody Allen like just loose and real. And I um but I I I I yeah I have a, a lot of love for that movie and I, and I appreciate it for MPI for funding it. I mean, it costs about 75k to make. Made no money. Uh, nobody saw it, but you know they they did their. I guess they did their best trying to get it out there. And, and I think it's a it, 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 film
1: that's yeah. going to get kind of rediscovered. And I, I think it is a movie that people, especially today, should see. I mean, as we kind of mentioned, you know, we're all getting so desensitized, and almost people are scared to kind of make stories like this because they feel no one are going to see them, or you know, they're not going to get the opportunities to make movies because they've stepped over this imaginary line that's been drawn but this is one great thing about the humor of your movies it's like what
2: line like this movie applesauce i didn't think that i legitimately did not think that i was gonna like based off just looking at the cover and looking at what the type of movie it was because it's usually not down my alley of what i enjoy in movies then i watched the movie and i was like holy shit i actually like this a lot like And it was a lot of that, honestly, is credit to you for being really, really good at character development and really good with dialogue and really good with scene setting. If
1: you do not laugh at the scene when uh, your character is confronted outside the school by Max Casella and just the fantastic (laughs) delivery of like. I know Sicilians and shit.
0: <laughs> Matt Cassell is really, really, really funny. It, yeah, it's I,
1: the flinching punches that he goes for you that he yeah. even knocks his own glasses off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's amazing. You know, we have the benefit of shooting two cameras, you know, so you can really catch the kind of spontaneity and the kind of uh, the naturalism of the performances, you know what I mean? What I really love about Applesauce, it is just, it's about four core characters and I do like the characters and I think they are well-rounded and I think there's a nice funny little mystery that's happening that's basically solved the mystery is solved in the first 10 minutes of the movie you know what i mean like you see who the character is i'm not giving spoilers (laughs) away you and then he's revealed halfway through so it's not really a mystery at all it's just a comedy of it's just a comedy of absurd situations about knowledge that you shouldn't have had. That's the idea of the apple sauce. The apple is like the tree of knowledge. You know, you, you bite into the tree of knowledge, you, you bite into the apple of knowledge, and then what happens? You know what I mean? Like, you have to live with knowing about something you don't want to know. This movie played very well at festivals. Like, we played it at festivals. Big crowds, electric crowds, everyone laughing collectively. Like, this is, a, this is definitely a crowd-pleasing movie uh, with people, and I always – People that watch it by themselves always tell me they laugh out loud and they've said similar things, Andrew, like spitting up their drink. Oh, you were saying that about the Summer of Blood, but spitting up like their drink or laughing so hard they can't control it. Um, I, I, that feels, that, that's what you look for in comedy. For me, when I watch a comedy, if it makes me laugh out loud three or four times, that comedy wins me over. And, and I don't necessarily have to laugh throughout a comedy. I have to be engaged. I have to be interested. But if I laugh out loud three or four times, I think, you know, to me, that's what makes a comedy work. I think, obviously, there's the Chinese food scene that's very, very funny. That's the one that I think really brings the – it's a showstopper. Like people will be laughing for three or four – not three or four minutes, but for a long time in the audience. I remember watching it just laughter for a long time after it because it's so absurd and the asshole Mm -hmm. as a comedic device has always been funny i mean i think about i I don't know if it's necessarily funny now but alec baldwin and glengarry glenn ross which we watched religiously in the 90s that scene he's such a dick it's fucking funny and and look it's like (laughs) the, the culture is like how we can't be cruel to people you're not supposed to no you shouldn't be cruel to people doesn't mean it's not funny
2: yeah like you have to you can't take away something that the world doesn't have and shy away from it like if you're if you're making art if you're doing something like film or script writing or character development like yeah maybe we shouldn't be cruel but i'm sorry cruelty is out there and some of that cruelty is funny as hell <laughs>
0: like that's just well, yeah, well, the nature of what it in the is. Wor- And the world's a dangerous place anyway. There's danger everywhere. So how how is someone just being an asshole a real threat, existential threat to anything? If someone's an asshole, you're an asshole back. That's how it goes. Nobody owes no one. You're not entitled to people being courteous to you. That's just not a right. You don't have a right to that. So this idea that assholes all of a sudden like persona non grata uh, people are grumpy people are unhappy in their lives people are annoyed in their lives that's part of it it is truthful that's the way we exist even if it's not and i forget this idea that because there's racism in my new movie right because in pound cake there you, you hear asian people being racist towards black people and vice versa you see them arguing and you don't see that a lot in movies and um and, and that's it, it, racism is real so you're not supposed to put racism in movies now because I had a review saying, I don't mind bad reviews, rip my movies apart. That's fine. But someone was critiquing it because it had a racist Asian character. That's the reason to crit- critique the movie because there's an Asian a racist, Asian character. So racism doesn't exist. Asians are completely like, you know, uh, exonerated from racism. It's absurd to me. um, I, but I gotta say, also, what I love about uh, applesauce was the first time I got to kind of work with Max Casella, who's amazing actor and what a pedigree of work he's done. I was I w- when I was in high school, I used to watch Dookie Hauser, which was a popular TV show uh, in the '80s, and, and Max was on that show. And I gotta say, I fanboyed out when I met him because I'm like, I was such a, I love that show so much. So we've we've become good friends, and I, 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 I my my hope is to do. If, I, if I'm if i lucky enough to do 5, 10, 20 more movies, I hope I can do 5, 10, or 20 more movies with Max. I love him so much. But Max Casella did say something really interesting to me. He was like, Warner, yeah, you're a fine actor, but you're a great writer. And if you have a chance to make these movies, why not cast somebody, a real actor, a big actor in your part? It will make the movie more viable, more lucrative. And also, it you was know, his way of saying, and he's so right, listen, I'm Max Casella. I should be acting with someone else like Kevin Corrigan or somebody with more clout or more experience than you. And he was right. He didn't mean it in any disrespect, but I've listened to him on that. And um, I'm acting in my new movie, Pound Cake, only because it's a non-SAG movie. We didn't have the money to hire SAG actors to get approved by SAG because, and also to go through all the COVID protocols a year and a half ago when we shot it. Um, but So that's why I cast myself in it. But in the future, if I ever, if ever, I, when I cast Max Cassella and other SAG actors – yeah, I'll, I'll find somebody else to play. Max will probably play the role that I would play myself, you know, or, or Kevin Corgan or Craig Birko or, or whoever will, will be generous enough to to act in my movies,
2: you know. There's, there's something to be said about not being in the system, so to speak, because yeah. like what we've talked about this whole time about with independent film and with, you know, what you can do on this budget and that budget and all those things and not being in that Hollywood system, allowing you to take more risks and everything. That's how you get a movie like Terrifier 2. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like, Terrifier 2 was made for $250,000, which, when you see the movie, you're like, there's no way that was made yeah. for $250,000. But also, like, not to go off on anything on this, but just to give a, like, an example of it, the amount of cruelty that is in that movie, like, in the kill scenes yeah. and stuff, is something that a Hollywood studio would never touch. Like, yeah. it makes, like, Evil Dead Rise look like the Care
0: Bears. Yeah, yeah, but but also, I think in the first one too, doesn't he hang up a woman and saw her in half vertically? Now, okay, imagine if someone said, "Well, you can't do that because um, my you know my friend died and someone stabbed her and killed her." Of course, which is terrible and horrible. But imagine the same idea like I'm offended because I have someone close to me who died, not like that, but it it was terrible, and it's like. You, you can't imagine like the outrage, like you're not allowed to do that, which is, okay, you go to a comedy club knowing that people are going to say things that are that are offensive or inappropriate or that are just something you've never heard before, or a new take on a joke you've never heard before. And it, 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 why is that like allowed to be able to say, you can't say that because it offends me. How is someone being sawed in half, not offensive from the, from, everybody's offended by something. Everything is grotesque, but we go looking for catharsis we're looking for something we've never seen before and uh again it's the way of escaping the dread or the uh, of the world that we're living in knowing that we could die at any moment knowing that nuclear bombs could drop at any moment knowing that anything Mm -hmm. could happen it's some kind of catharsis the feeling of safety of saying look the world is absurd it's violent it's nasty but i feel almost reassured as i'm watching this that this isn't real i don't know the the, what, what it is behind it i just know that in art yeah, thank God terrified to exist. And you know, some people could poo-poo it and say, Well, <laughs> a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar movie, when's the last time a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar independent film was released uh independently and made ten million dollars in a theater? Um some people might say uh oh, well, that's the only way a movie, an independent film could get released these days. And what is that saying about the, the current culture? And what is that saying? The independent film should only make hyper ultra violent movies. Um, you could take that line too. But, but it's like, what, look, make, it, make an interesting movie. Get it out there. I feel like people should put movies in theaters and they should never go to streaming. We should go back to like 80s, uh, yeah. the go, just, just Blu-ray and f- theater. And maybe two years down the road or a year down the road, and if you can get a bunch of people to be loyal and not have assholes leak it online, that give it something. It's like seeing a band that you really love that only gets to yeah. play from city to city. I don't yeah. know. I mean, there are alternatives to this. You know what I mean? Like building a mystique that's not based on, hey, let's just dump it on streaming when anybody can watch it or turn it off and they're not even paying for it, so they have no investment in it. Build the mystique in the theater again. I don't know. And, and, and independent film in theaters, uh, Terrifier What? A, what a great success story. By no means should you tell
2: somebody that they can't make that. Like, that's bullshit. Like, you can't tell somebody, you don't get to make that art because that art pisses me off. Like, sorry, that's not how it works.
0: Well, you can't walk into, you can't go to the theater and see Terrifier 2 and complain about it being too violent. This was right. too violent for me. What? Well, I, I didn't pay for this. Yes, you did. You should have known. You can't go into a comedy club and then be offended because anything goes in a comedy club. I will say this. I watched Three Amigos uh, a couple of weeks ago again, just as comfort food. <laughs> you remember remember that movie from the, yeah. uh, from the, from oh, the yeah. late 80s? And I thought, I haven't watched this in a while. Let me watch this. And it was perfection. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And it's such clean humor. You know what I mean? I got to say that I'm like, wow. Now, what a challenge that would be to make something funny like that. That is like not... Nice. <laughs> Not trying to be offensive, that it's just purely absurd. It's almost got like some Buster Keaton. It's very mm-hmm. physical. It's very silly. Yeah. It's very vaudevillian. Um, and I and I, I don't know. I think that would be a good, interesting challenge to do too. But I, but also, again, uh, the we we've we've to advance so far with horror films uh, and and, and vi- ultra violent horror films. Uh, you got to keep pushing the envelope and seeing how far you can go with it. And there's an audience for it, so.
1: Well, speaking of violence, we've kind of got into the a film that really, really kind of put you on the map a bit in the eyes of quite a few, and that, of course, would be Catfight. Yeah. Now, um, me and Jonas, we got into a bit of a discussion uh, in regards to Anne Hesh because we were talking about, um, obviously, how quick people were to turn on Anne Hesh, but Catfight kind of came at a really good time because... This was for many the first time people had seen Anne Hesh in a while uh, in leading a movie. Also, you had Sandra O, oh, who had, right at that time hit it big with uh, her series Killing Eve, which I believe was just shortly after. Mm-hmm. And it touches on one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's The Duelists. So tell tell us the story behind Catfight and Anne and Sandra.
0: Real quickly, the idea came about I was having drinks and smoking, we were smoking cigarettes and listening to vinyl records with my friend DeVoe Yates, who was my roommate at the time. He's uh, he, he does music supervising for the Rough House uh, gang out in uh, Charleston, North Carolina. The, the yep. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, he's a music supervisor for those guys. He works on the, sh- on the shows out there, uh, Righteous Gemstones, and d- d- does the music supervising for the Halloween movies and the New Exorcist movies. He's a wonderful, brilliant, beautiful human being. And we're drinking one night. We were talking about how much we loved – the movie Three O'Clock High. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen yes. this movie. Fucking Incredible. underrated, brilliant comedy from the 80s. I haven't seen it in a long time. Casey Samasco is uh, the uh, the actor, a bunch of other actors, no-name actors, but great, great comedy. the The, the bully, this bully challenges a nerd to a fight. They have to fight at 3 o'clock after, at, at the high school. And so we've got eighty, uh, we got 70 minutes, the first two acts of the movie. The nerd is, nerd is just trying to get out of this fight because he doesn't want to fight the bully. <laughs> and so we have all this anticipation, a lot of comedy, a lot of hijinks, a lot of brilliant, just funny, absurd situations. Very, very entertaining and very, very stylistic. <laughs> we, we talked about how much we love this movie and why do we love it so much? Because – the anticipation of the final fight and we because we you know what's going to happen there's so much suspense There's so much there's so much anticipation so we kept thinking about that and for some and this somebody thought of the idea of cat fight why do we make a movie with two women fighting called cat fight and it was like a light bulb went off our heads imdb is there a movie called cat fight how is there not a movie called cat fight let's make a movie called cat fight this was this was probably in 2012 or 13 or so uh we'd made a movie called richard's wedding together um We wrote a script together called Catfight, but it was about uh, women in an advertising company. There were two sets of women, young women in their 20s, all competing for—two women were fighting over the same guy. The One woman, one girl was uh, dating this guy. A girl from a competing advertising agency is sleeping with the guy, and they end up having fisticuffs at the end of the movie. It's uh, it's about you know, you know what the Bechtel test is right. Completely yeah. fails the Bechtel test. Everything is in relation to this guy. The women's, both women, their happiness is is all contingent on this guy winning this guy's love. We wrote it. Um, MPI. They ended up funding uh, buying summer of blood, uh, funding applesauce. They said, "What else do you want to do?" I was like, "Well, I've got this script called uh, 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 you know, catfight that my friend and I wrote," and um. It, I, I, they're like, yeah, if you want to make this, we can make this. And I read it, and I just I didn't connect to it at all. Because, I don't know if it was the culture or whatever. I was getting older, but I didn't want to make it about young women fighting over a guy. I wanted to make it about older women fighting, blaming the other woman for the loss of a child. Uh, because both women, there's there's the idea of childbirth and, and blaming the other one for the other person's... the Blaming the death of their child on the other person... To me, felt like that's a way more noble thing to fight for. What what, what can a woman do that a man can't do? Uh, give birth, right? So I wanted to. I wanted women to fight over the the worst loss you could imagine. And to me, the worst loss you could imagine is losing a child. Anyway, I wrote the script, uh, Catfight, gave it to uh, uh, MPI Media Group and said, oh, well, I want to make this version. They read the script. They're like, Warner, this is nothing like the other Catfight script that I read. And then we read, you sure you want to make this? I'm like, yeah, this is the one I want to make. They said, well, if you can cast, if you can get a good cast, we'll fund the movie. So they gave me a little bit of seed money. They gave me like $10,000. I hired a, a casting director uh, named uh, Stephanie Holbrook in uh, New York. I, I never forget it. We had dinner together. She read the script. I took her to lunch. Not dinner. I took her to lunch. I was like, well, I've got a little bit of money. Can you help me cast this thing? If I cast it, we can get, get the movie made. She said, I'm on board. And uh, and then my, my producer, Gigi Graff, who's brilliant, I – she came on board the movie and 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 we got the script to a um uh an agency called UTA uh and an agent out there read the script we started going after everybody we could think of that uh, Parker Posey Maria bellows uh um what's your what's your name the comedian Sarah Silverman we a bunch of people that I wanted to, to get to act in the movie that I thought would be great uh, paired against each other and you know you know how it is when you're Submitting to agents and managers—that's that's the funny thing about Mark Ruffalo saying, "Let's all do independent films," because the man, the agents and managers are like, "No, I don't. We don't want to read those scripts. <laughs> we don't want to entertain these offers. People are sending us scripts. They can't pay you, Mark. I'm not going to read the script. Someone's going to offer you a script. They're not going to pay you any money. I'm not going to read the script. And so it was laborious. We'd send the script out, wait for Sarah Silverman's people to get back to us. In two or three weeks, they get back to us saying she's not going to do it. They probably never even sent her the script. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But, 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 waiting and waiting and eventually it's like this isn't working. We 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 need to get this movie cast. So I think her name is Joe Yao at UTA. We said, Joe, can 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 you let us know who wants? Can you send this script out and let the actors come back to us and see who wants to do it? And we had five actresses read the script and come back to us. And three of them, three of the actors were Anne Hayes, Sandra O, oh, and Alicia Silverstone. They all wanted to play the same role. They wanted to play Veronica. They wanted to play the Sandra O oh character. You know, the the trophy wife who's who drinks too much wine and who's unhappy. And you know that that's who they all wanted to play. Um, and but I talked to Sandra first on Zoom. We had a conversation. And, uh, you know, it's funny because she had done Grey's Anatomy, right? It was a very popular TV show. She's making a lot of money. And that show was over and she had not really been in much for for a few years after Grey's Anatomy. I told my, I told MPI media group, they're like, great, that's awesome. And then when you have Sandra O attached, then Anne H. is like, I get a chance. I'll I'll act with Sandra O. sure. I'll do the movie and I'll play the other character. Alicia was awesome and amazing. I remember our lunch together. She wanted to play either either role she wanted to play a sandra's role and i'm like alicia this is this role is for like you're you still look to me alicia still looks like the same uh actress from clueless she still has she still has a youthfulness to her i I didn't buy her as a as the age of the woman i wanted to play the role and also i cast anne and sandra they just they came first and i'm like alicia will you play anne hache's you know, lover, her partner, and she's like, "Okay, I'll do this," and but I want you to. She didn't like the way her character was written on the page. She said, "I'll do this, on her. She's awesome. She's like, I want more to do. You don't have enough for me to do in this fucking movie." <laughs> and I and I and I went and I and I and I wrote the, some other scenes for her, and I think they're some of the best scenes in the movie. And then she came and shot with us for three days, and you know, we shot the movie in fifteen days. And it was uh, a beautiful, beautiful experience. Uh, Anne and I really, really connected and really clicked. I wish I, that my, the plan was to make more movies with her, but I just didn't get a chance to do that. Alicia and I really clicked. I, I talked to her. And I was just a new, I was in LA about I don't know, a year ago, and we took a walk on the beach for two hours, and we cleaned up trash. We picked up trash on the beach. It was like <laughs> we're gonna. So I, the only way I could walk with her on the beach is if I was actually a trash man. So I, I said, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Sandra was casting. In uh, Killing Eve, after after uh, after Catfight came out, Catfight went to Toronto Film Festival in 2017. We we 2016 we sold it 24 hours after it premiered. We sold it for to Netflix for quite a bit of money. We weren't allowed to issue a press release announcing how much we sold it for, but it was very very successful. Everybody did very very we did well. Like it came out, people saw it. It's it probably has more uh, cultural relevance now. You know, six seven years after it came out than it did then. Just because of this uh, notion of um, uh, of women uh, p- women being powerful, women and re- this reversal of like uh, um, gender in movies, like a, a character yeah. that could go to a man being played by a woman, and you've got two women who are basically in the male roles of beating the shit out of each other that you normally see men doing. Um, I'm not saying I created the Catfight. Obviously, didn't invent the Catfight. Catfights have been around for d- decades, you know, in cinema. And, but it was fun to make a movie and be able to use that title, to take ownership of that title and say, this is our movie called Catfight. We're the first one. And to get these powerhouse performances from Sandra and Anne, they really, and Alicia, they really, really gave it so much. And and that's one of the cool things I learned about from Hollywood is you can cast, you can cast one good actor that has a lot of respect and that people want to work with. You could get the other actors attached, you know what I mean? So I'm proud that we made it. It it should have it should have put me on the map in a way that if I could have parlayed that into getting meetings set up in Hollywood, trying to get an agent, trying to get a manager. But I wasn't. I kind of rebelled against that stuff. I remember uh, a week or so before we went to Toronto, getting an email from someone at uh, William and Morris saying, "Hey, we'd like to see the movie," and blah blah blah. And, and I'm like, well, you have to go see the movie when you're at uh, when you're in Toronto. And after the movie, hey, let's get together and have some lines of cocaine and party our asses up. I, I was I was making <laughs> silly uh, comments, almost to sabotage in a way, because I'm like, I just I just don't trust it or buy it, you know. Somebody I have so many friends. I've got friends who are Wayman Morris and been pitching shows and getting shows in development. They never get made. They get paid a little bit of money, sure, but it's like I don't know. I'm not. I don't. i just. I was just more interested in like getting my movies made on my own terms, you know, and I'd love to get another $350,000 movie made, but I don't know. It's, it's, uh, and and, you know, I've I've had, I've had one movie that had that kind of a budget and we had some kind of, you know, recognizable actors in it. And we, again, we sold it for a lot of money. I, I could have, I should have tried to be a little bit more aggressive about getting another project off the ground, but I don't know what it is. I'm just kind of I'm an idiot, you know? I just like to do my own thing at my own pace and whatever I'm inspired to do, I do. And I can't really, if there is an agenda or something strategic about it or that's motivated by money or that I know eventually it's going to be a group of people telling me how to make it, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not motivated by that, you know? Catfight, I think, is
1: a really kind of underrated film. I remember when it came out, Uh, I saw a lot of people on Facebook that were really praising it. They were just saying, oh, my God, you know, this film's great. It's kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, And it is a film that is available on that network, Netflix. You might have heard of it. It's not changed its (laughs) name to X2 yet, (laughs) like other platforms. Um, And you should definitely go and check it out. And the thing is, owner, your career career, is incredible and we can't even cover it all in one episode
0: we are gonna have to have you back i'd love to be back and i the best i think the best idea is like uh i have like there's a stopwatch or something where i have like a minute and a half to speak <laughs> and when the and the beeper goes off and i can't and i have to stop talking about it you know no, no, but, you're not you're not a rambler you're passionate there's a well, big yeah. difference there's a well, big there's difference there's a big
1: difference we have had some guests on in the past who have had extensive careers of like 30, 40 plus years, and we struggle to get conversation out of them for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> really, they, yeah. they are so kind of weird. It's like, why the hell did you even come on?
2: And you're not a rambler. I've, I've heard ramblers. No. That's not you. You
1: have a home on this show anytime that you want to drop by
0: well there are no, definitely no. some shows there's some shows i'm not welcome on there's a show called doug benson there's the doug benson show that i've that been the one kicked you got off off twice yeah twice <laughs> on yeah yeah I, i'm not welcome on that show although one day i hope to do a third episode so that we can clear the air and clear the karma but i don't know yeah just getting <laughs> kicked
1: off in the first five minutes and then <laughs> that's you've got right the
0: trifecta. that's right thank um, you i, I appreciate well, it andrew and, and Jonathan. Jonas, thank you both
1: no definitely uh, i think obviously we're, to kind of uh round out uh this episode today uh we obviously have to quickly discuss pound cake it's got
0: its uh premiere actually in london the international premiere yeah it's already had some screenings in the uh, in uh in america at some smaller festivals and so this will be the the biggest festival it's playing at will be Fright Fest in London on August 25th. Yeah, at uh, I think 8.50 8. or 9.15, I'm not sure, but it's on their website, August 25th. So I'm ex- really excited about that. And then we're going to have some screenings in New York coming up. And uh, yeah, it's eventually keep trying to screen in theaters as much as possible to resist streaming. Now, if someone makes us a real viable offer, we'll put it on streaming. But I'm not going to just – I've been giving – I've given movies in the past to streaming services – and that, that don't offer any money up front. And and how could they really? It's hard to make money at this business. But they only just dump the movie on streaming and they don't promote it. So it's like, well, I could just do that myself. You know what I mean? Right. Like, So it's yeah. like in the future, it's like I'm not going to go with a distributor unless they can give us some kind of like um, financial offer just so we can pay people back because no one got paid making this except for some of the crew members. It was a small crew. so
1: unfortunately i won't be able to be there on the 25th for the london i will be in another country at the time otherwise i would have so been there but for you know you get some more screenings in new york if you do it i know jonas is a local he would love to come by check your movie out we can cover it here and really promote it for you try get oh, you that'd uh, be great yeah jonas
0: you should, i'll let you know the so it's gonna be at the roxy cinema like august 11th 13th and 15th if you're around you should definitely oh
2: yeah i actually it, yeah. know the uh i know the um and the The person that coordinates all the programming there.
0: Yeah, uh, he, he's. Uh, I, I can't remember his name off the top because I'm just having a brain fog. But but he's so sweet. They've been really cool, generous to give us three screenings. Uh, i yeah, I love the Roxy. The, Roxy the Roxy Roxy Roxy's, rules. Roxy's awesome. They're yeah, really absolutely. Cool. Yeah.
2: yeah, August yeah. 11th. Yeah, if um, if I'm in town August 11th, I'll absolutely be there because I would love. Yeah. To, I would love to see it.
0: And if anybody goes to YouTube and types in pound cake trailer you can see the trailer. It's just about a serial killer who yeah. kills straight white men and nobody cares, <laughs> nobody gives a damn. And there's and there's a, there's kind of like a greek chorus of uh podcasters throughout the movie that kind of like again I'm very very influenced by I didn't say this, but like you know, it, there's the there's the radio host in applesauce, and I'm very influenced by talk radio. Oliver Stone's talk radio from that yeah. from the '80s that uh, that uh, Eric Bogosian, of course, wrote and starred in. I love that movie. I love Fisher King um, from the '80s as well, which has got the Jeff Bridges host. This idea of the the, the big mouth on the radio just talking shit, getting in trouble, stirring things up. The rabble rouser. I I'm I, I'm 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 drawn to that, and there's a lot of that in. In, uh in pound cake because all the straight white men are just props to be killed in brutal terrible ways <laughs> and it's a you know it's a metaphor for the culture we're living in right now you know obviously straight white men have caused all the problems so you know they deserve to go down and and and, and you, you can and you can vocally criticize and and shame and castigate and criticize straight white men so egregiously and uh, you know years from now I think uh we'll look back and say what yeah, this was a Collective mania, just the way I think that the war in Iraq there was a collective hysteria or 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 uh, collective uh breakdown of, of of societal norms um or common sense i think
1: we we that. cannot wait to hear more about it we cannot wait for its release and uh, we will cover that in the weeks leading up to it. We've had an amazing show uh, an amazing debut guest already I know we're going to be looking forward to having you back on uh to share your wisdom and your unique filmmaking voice and how passionate you are and how it comes across it's fantastic uh
0: thanks andrew
2: yeah uh so before that uh jonas
1: we know you got some stuff to plug before we leave Mm -hmm.
2: i do um i have the tromedy hour show it's the fourth thursday of every month uh so we have that at the Tiny Cupboard in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, specifically, if you're into horror, you can also find me over on another goddamn horror podcast, which is just Linktree l i n k t r dot e e slash a g h p six six six, six. Uh, and we we talk all things horror on that show.
1: And as well as supporting that, uh, we've got to say, uh, please give us some support over here at Pottywood. And the way you can do that is to hit a subscribe. On our YouTube channel because it means everything to us to you. It's not going to change your day much at all. Uh, If you uh, want to send us some money away, you might as well do it through our Patreon page, which is where you can get early audio versions of these episodes early plus exclusive. Uh, You can find us on our official Facebook page. You can find us on uh, can we call it Twitter anymore? It's still technically Twitter, but (laughs) Twitter. It's still Twitter on my phone. Also, if you're a bit more sophisticated in your online, you can find us on LinkedIn. As of next week, we will be back with Steve giving his two what's-in-the-box reviews because just because he was getting out of two episodes a month does not mean he was getting out of only just seeing two movies a month. (laughs) Now he has to watch four a month, <laughs> two, two at a time, and come back and give us his everyman review on these classic films because he is a cinema fiddlestine who has not seen anything, including Taxi Driver, because I actually had to introduce him to that. Oh,
2: to
1: um, Tuchel, we're already looking forward to you coming back.
0: So much fun, Andrew. Uh, Jonas, thank you, guys. I can't wait to be back. And-
1: uh, so, was ours. Pleasure So from now, I'll see you soon.